dude, I love the film. Like it was, it was really great. It started to get super riveting around 55 minutes in, as Thank I you. may have mentioned in the email where you start showing that really rare original footage from back in the day in a lot of these communist dictatorial countries. So we'll rock and roll. We'll get to the, we'll start, we'll have fun and we'll, ha- we'll chop right, it up. Man. All right. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. Thank you. Uh, and how do you say your Jai last Mungle, name? Like my jungle. That's what I thought. Okay. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Jordan Paris show. Today we have on the program Kurt Jai Mungle. I just watched a film of his. He's an independent filmmaker. And I watched his film the other night, and it was riveting. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about it more in depth. Kurt, it's not out yet, right? No, it is actually. It came out April second, so people oh, can I get watched, it from. I, why did I watch the private version then? Well, <laughs> well you're a media personality, so oh, oh, I didn't have to pay to... for it. That's right, the thing. right, right. Oh, right, right, right. Where can people watch it? People can watch it from betterleftonsaidfilm.com if they're international. So let's say you're in France, and that is international, as in not UK, America, Australia, or Canada, and. You can also watch it on iTunes and Google Play. But like I said, if you're international, go to betterleftonsaidfilm.com. It also gives more of the money to the filmmakers directly. And you get access to the director's cut for free. So the director's cut has 30 minutes of extra footage, which is not able to be put on to iTunes and so on. Very cool. Better Left Unsaid on, repeat the website again. Betterleftonsaidfilm.com. Betterleftonsaidfilm.com. Dot com. Wasn't the name of it when we originally booked this podcast, it was something else. It was when the left goes too far, wasn't it? Was that no, not no. the name? I no. swear that was the name of it. Where did I get that from? You have any the idea? Opening question is when does the left go too far? Sorry, oh, the impetus okay. for the film is when does the left go too far? But for marketing purposes, look, the marketing this is strange because you're a film the director and the writer, but so much of this is out of my control. And the marketing of the film is about political extremism in general. I think that's disingenuous. It's actually investigation into the extreme left. When does the left go too far? Which is why there's a focus on the left, even though we touch on the right. You do. But the yeah. marketing gives a false impression and it makes people think that the, well, it gives people in a different idea as to what it is. Yeah. I love the impetus of the film. When does the left go too far? And yes, you did really, I mean, yeah, you highlighted that very well throughout. I, I freaking love the footage throughout, you know, past and present. And, and we'll touch on that. Um, but it was really shocking. For a lot of the film, I was like shaking my head or I was like, no, or like my jaw was dropped at the stupidity of some things that that people sat out on the streets protesting. I was like, I was really... Uh, captured at every turn so better left unsaid film.com kurt i have to ask we'll just kick it off with this very simple question why did you create this film first i wanted to know you mentioned chapter three is your favorite because of the history section i wanted to know is there a documentary that explores communism in china and soviet russia and so on and displays the findings and it turns out that there isn't any that people wouldn't consider to be abjectly 
non-propagandistic. Now, people may say that this film itself is biased. Well, I don't know what to say to that because everything is biased, but then that doesn't excuse any bias at all. But anything with a I, human being behind it is, is yeah, for you to have bias. a for you to move your body, you have to be biased because there are a plenitude of actions actions and actions that could have been taken, which means you have to have some heuristic, you have to have some filtering mechanism, and that itself is a bias. But anyway, I thought, why don't I create this film that will just explore communism? Then as I started doing it, I realized that there are obvious connections to the extreme left. Well, that's actually what I want to explore. People say the extreme left is Marxism reborn. Is it? Well, what is Marxism, first of all? And then is it, it is what's happening right now an echo? And well, that was that was the original reason. Yes. Let's dive into some of the talking points of the film here. You aptly point out that the Smurfs and Spider-Man and literally even dogs are being politicized. Everything is about race. Everything is about gender or some sort of class warfare. Where does this political obsession come from, Kurt? And what does this type of political obsession, this type of behavior lead to? Mm, okay. So as you say that, what I'm thinking is the, the problem with viewing the world through this lens, as the people on the grievance study ends might call it, the lens of race, the lens of critical theory, the lens of Marxism, whatever it may be, the lens. The problem with it is that there is the falsehood about it is that there's some truth. What I mean by that is you can view any phenomenon. So let's say this is a charging case from the phone, the headphones that I'm using right now. You can view it through the lens of race. So who are the people that made this and what power structures were being upheld through the production of it? But you can also view it through an engineering lens and you can view anything through an engineering lens, even human beings. You can view the mind through an engineering lens. You can view almost anything through an artistic lens. You can view almost anything through a mathematical lens, but then they prioritize the race lens and they say, well, it fits. Yes, but so does the mathematical. So does the engineering. So does the artistic. So why do you You're cherry picking one lens? Right, 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 right. And so as for where does the political obsession come from? One may, one answer may be that it's a totalizing belief that, that when I say totalizing, I mean that it accounts, doesn't account, but it at least seemingly accounts for, it's, it's seemingly applicable in, in almost every situation. I was reading this book called Master and Its Emissary by Ian McGilchrist. And you may think of the extreme left as being e these irrational beings who are governed by their emotions. But actually McGilchrist points out that it's an overabundance, an oversaturation of the left hemisphere. Sorry, and the left hemisphere, just for people who are unacquainted, the left hemisphere is the one in charge of, this is false. It's not in charge of because there's interhemispheric dialogue and interhemispheric mm, structures that account for each of what I'm about to say. So this is an oversimplification, but the left is the one that likes to pinpoint and manipulate and to see as the same and see as group-like see abstractions and and bring down to and redu reduce so reductionism comes from the left side whereas the right hemisphere is more about uniqueness and engaging with the world so as so i see the extreme left as being 
when I say that it's a totalizing belief, the left hemisphere likes to do that. It likes to make models and likes to make sure that everything it sees fits into that model. Okay. As for where else did this come from? So altruistically, there is obviously some... There is some truth to wanting one situation in life and others' situations in life to be improved because it's not where it could be and some people are suffering and it would be great if we weren't compelled to work because the, the alternative is destitution or to be ostracized. There's also a biological aversion to any inequality, which you can see in monkeys where you give a grape, sorry, you give a stone, you treat, you teach them how to exchange stones from for goods. And then in the next cage you give, so one monkey gives you a stone and you give him one grape, but then the other monkey gives you a stone. And you give it like three grapes. Then the monkey that you originally gave one grape to throws the grape back at you and just starts clamoring in the cage. Hmm. So where does it come Isn't from? Isn't that a microcosm of right, right. what it's we're in going us. through? It's, it's exactly in us. If one wants to get technical, Jonathan Verveke takes this political obsession and brings it back even further to before the Enlightenment. So we can talk about the Enlightenment, but Verveke brings it back to the 1100s, 1000s, where the there was the invention of vowels and spaces. So you're like, what the heck does that have to do at all with our political situation? Well, that's a fun one to explore. How the heck does our reading comprehension play any part? Okay. And then you can be Nietzschean or Jungian or even Petersonian and say that it's a human motivation of of malice and 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 antagonism and vindictiveness and rancor and so on for toward the world and its condition or toward other people who achieve greater than you. So that's where it comes from. It's multifarious. I don't know how to pin it down to anyone. And I could pin it down. Resent the resent people are more successful than you. Yeah. You're saying that's a natural sort of inclination. Is that what you're saying? See, you could, you could, you could take it. That's right. That's right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. But there's another view. You can have another view. And the Marxists try to have this where they look down at the bourgeoisie. So it's not like I want to become rich. It's like, I hate those that are rich. And there's a great quote. I think I included in the film is that we mortals always scorn what we valiantly strive for, but don't obtain. And you see some of that with Marxism. Yes. Sorry. I have to, uh, Kurt, I have to ask. All right. It seems like you're, are you reading off the paper? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I have many notes, but when I'm, it seems like just you, it seems from... like you're reading for a second. Sorry. No, 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 no. No, what <laughs> I'm thinking because like, you're looking down. No, no, no. When I'm thinking, I tend to look down. Yeah. I tend to look Interesting. up. I different. You have d- very unique accessing cues. Your brain works yeah. a little differently. Yeah, yeah. Well, it also is from being unsure of myself Why? while speaking in another. Because I have varying thoughts, so they ramify the edges where when I'm trying to come up with an answer, there are three that are presented to me inside my brain, and then they're vying for dominance, and I have to have you say every every time someone asks a question there's th- there are three at least competing two, at least three horses in the race there are there are at least two 
and most of the time it's three. And then I'm I'm wondering, well, which one is truthful? Which one am I saying so that I can appear as if I have more knowledge than I do? And thus it's it's false in some way because it's an inflation of my own ego. Another one is obviously I'm thinking about what the audience what what's relevant because a thought can occur to me about a butterfly and then I'm not just going to talk to you about the monarchs unless you want to talk about the French Revolution and the monarchs mm-hmm. that's completely different. So so that's what that's why I'm pausing constantly. Yes, you think differently. I don't. I don't know about that. I think I. I think I'm thinking deeply, or at least consistently. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit deeper. You explore yeah, probably, it a little bit more than most people. Unadaptively, to be frank. Unadaptively, it, yeah. Yeah, because it then makes me uncomfortable in my own mind. And when I say that, what I mean is, there are some people like you meditate. I'm sure you meditate. You look like you meditate. I. Used just, just to, say, just say and yes, I go through. I go through a gratitude Whatever. practice Doesn't every matter. morning. Great. This borderline meditation. <laughs> great, great, great. Well, I've tried to meditate for many, many, many years or months of my life. Doesn't work, and mm. then it then it came to the point where a few months ago I had some. I've mentioned this a couple of times. I'm not an. See, I went through this whole Tony Robbins bout for years and years and years was this self-development guru and yeah, i was so yeah, sure went, of myself i went i went through it man i i yeah i i went through the whole tony robbins route <laughs> yeah yeah and i was uh, very sure of myself yeah yeah that's for sure and there's nothing hey man there's nothing wrong with tony robbins tony robbins is a is an yes, inimitable legend and, yes and i just see every self-development guru as being a baby tony robbins epigon and I they're agree. just they're just these false imitations. False gods. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And false problems. I and I include myself in that because at least for years, and I loved like, yeah, change your state, change your physicality. And totally. I would tell people and I would even coach people. And the reason I would coach people would be because deep down I'm so insecure and I want validation from people. And I love when people would come to me and say, Dude, Oh, I'm the, with you. You can Yeah, exactly. So then it took many years and it's still being unfolded. I don't know if this unfolding process will ever end, but it took many years for me to of constantly doubting myself and wondering why am I saying what I'm what I'm saying, why am I doing what I'm doing to get to the point where now there's hesitancy in almost each word that I say because I'm wondering why am I saying it and is it truthful and is it loving and is it honest mm-hmm. and is it well Hopefully that answers your question as to my strange eye access and cues. No, I'm Maybe. really, uh, I, I'm intrigued and you, you did strike a chord with me because I think we, we have gone down similar paths with that. And I definitely was, you probably don't know, everyone who listens to this show does, that I was one of those self-help business cliche type people really up until October. The show was called Growth Mindset University. I interviewed all the people, all the famous people, you know, and in that in that world, all the all the authors, all the gurus, right? And uh, I just found myself to be on this self-image pursuit. That's really all it was. I was like, and the only reason people were looking up to me is because I was 
talking to famous people and I would just up the ante and up the ante. I'm like, oh, what if I could talk to this person or this person or this person or the author of this book? Then I would get some, even more social cred. I would get more validation. Mm-hmm. I would get more love. I would get more compliments. I would get more comments. I would get more likes. I would get more listeners. And it re- that's really where it all came from. I was just constantly trying to up the ante in a on a very surface in a very surface level unfulfilling way and and it took me really like kind of waking up from the matrix so to say and i know everyone kind of makes their life and like they all everyone has some matrix analogy for themselves or so it seems um mm-hmm. but i really do so- fe- feel like i woke up from the self help matrix you know, the, the cons- where the consumption of self-help material is mostly masturbatory mm. and you never really take much action and you're just spewing these success quotes, but you're really not making that much money or you're just not, you're just not that successful. You look way more successful than you actually are. So like I took that self-help you know, I, I took that Tony Robbins self-help route because that was the first book I read as a teenager when I was 18 or 17 rather. And I took it to that extreme that I just described to you. That's what that path uh, led me towards. So it, it it made me look successful, but it didn't actually like make me successful. And so people, all these people were like looking up to me and I just felt like the biggest fraud. Like I was exactly what we're saying here, like this false prophet. So I feel a relative kinship with you there on, on that. I don't know if you took it to, to that extreme, but some things you said there uh, definitely struck a chord with me because so much of what I've done and, and said over the past four or five years has just been for like validation. Cause I didn't have friends in high school. So I just, I wanted people to like me. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts. Yeah. 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 And also treating interviewees and audience members. This is something I struggle with when I get a famous person on my channel. Even yes, you have a podcast as well. Can get, you, can you plug yes, that yeah. real quick? Yeah. For people who are interested, there's, something called a theory of everything. Now that's a physics term that technically means a grand unified theory where you take quantum mechanics, by the way, just this is just in case you want to impress your friends for whatever reason, it's technically not unifying quantum mechanics in general, general relativity. It's unifying quantum field theory. Just so you know, people say quantum mechanics. I don't, I don't know why they say it. It's technically QFT or quantum field theory. Regardless, you want to merge these two because they both have implications in the world. Okay. So that's called the theory of everything. But there's also some philosophical questions that aren't answered, like the beginning of the universe. Why are we here? Is there a God? Is there free will? Conscious? What is the explanation as to consciousness? So all of that is what I'm calling a theory of everything, an explanation to all that. I have a podcast called Theories of Everything where I explore that. Now, when I said that I sympathize with Jordan when he says he gets famous people, what I mean is what I sympathize with there is Using that word get, like there's this great book called, could you, you yeah, yeah, there's this great book called Master and His Emissary by Ian McGilchrist. Now, Master and His Emissary 
talks about the left brain versus the right. I think I, I referenced that already. And I, I'm getting confused because I did quite a few podcasts today. So excuse me if I repeat myself. But Ian McGilchrist says that you shouldn't treat time. I was telling him, I feel like I'm wasting time. I'm wasting time constantly. I, I'm berating myself for being lazy. I feel like I'm constitutionally lazy. And every minute that I spend awake, I'm I'm wondering if I'm utilizing it properly and if I'm Oh yeah, I have that. I have that ang- that pressing anxiety, that low hum anxiety. Yeah, and and I carry that with me even through the interactions with my family and with my friends. I it's almost as if if they can't aid my future, then I shouldn't have spent time with them, or I'm wasting time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I stopped listening to music. I told him that for years since I was 18 because I felt like music was a waste of time. He said that's a horrible way of thinking. That's a left brain way of thinking in terms of resources and getting like manipulating. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't think of time as a resource that you can waste. That's completely foreign to me. It's probably completely foreign to most people who are listening to this because at least if my own if I'm going by myself as any indication to think of time as being wasted, uh, sorry, to not think of time as being wasted. Well, what what does that mean? Can I can't I just meditate under a tree and then obliterate my entire life by living like that? Is that not a waste? Well, it's not it's not like you should think of it as you can never waste time. It's to not think of time as a resource. And then you can extrapolate that and not think of people as resources. So when I say I got this interviewee, mm-hmm. it's as if they're this little package that and, and that's I still struggle with that. They're a right, thing. That I, it's an object to acquire. You're exactly you're literally you objectifying them. them. Yeah. Like, dude, people would be in my inbox all the time, like, how did you get so and so? How'd you get get this person? Yeah. And I got to the point where I just started to feel really slimy and question that exact I still do. word. I still do. Because even right now, when I'm speaking to you, I can't get over that. I, I say like I, I, I've got Peterson or I've got, yeah. I've got Bernardo Castro for what I got. Like what the heck? And same with the audience members. Like I call them audience members. Are they audience members? Are they, are they just people that I'm interacting? It's so difficult to, well, people, to reference them. Dude, people like to say, oh, my – my audience and like some grand fashion to like make them to prop themselves up. They, they think, you know, like saying, I don't know how to describe this, but like saying my audience definitely gives the ego a little bit of a boost. Like people are listening to me. People are paying attention to me because I'm important. It's my audience. Right. And here's where I get a bit philosophical about that. Then I think, cause I have this, large part in me that thinks the way to solve any problem is to change yourself and the way that you view the the situation. So what I mean by that is, hmm, okay, I do say my audience. Why do I say my audience? It's because since I was little, I've idolized people who had audiences. So then perhaps totally. I don't want to view my audience members as interchangeable members of some of a class called audience. Perhaps I should stop idolizing people because they have large audiences. It's just, I mean, it's hard because it's so rooted in human behavior and, and just the principles, of the, the psychology of persuasion and just our psychology, the, the world of influence. I mean, you ever read that book, Influence by Robert Cialdini? Yeah, social proof in there. It's probably like the biggest thing I took away. We gravitate towards naturally, whether we like it or not, sometimes knowingly or not, people with audiences, people with social proof, 
things with social proof, restaurants with a lot of reviews. It's just, it's so rooted in human behavior. It's hard to just let go of that. I don't know if you can. Yeah. Because, because here's why I don't think you can let go of that. Because remember from the book Influence, we look to the actions of others to determine the best way forward. It often, not always, not always by any stretch of the imagine, but imagination, but often it does indicate the safest, best way forward. Like if someone else walked down that path, then it must be safe. Yeah. There must yeah, not yeah, be yeah, lions yeah. jumping yeah, yeah, out yeah. on that. There's path. obviously something salutary. You can't just dismiss all of what's come before you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to speak because you, your language <laughs> is given to you by many other people as well. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, so obviously, you take this whole self-development arena i have many notes many many notes on this so my thoughts aren't completely clear because i write but i don't rewrite and and that's the worst that to me is the worst part of writing is the rewriting but the most important so i don't do the most important part of writing either way i have many 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 notes on self-development do you write out your films by the way yeah 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 of course yeah Stupid question, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't just what you give it to the editor. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So as for self-development and influencing and getting success, I wonder if, if they've done such a disservice because it's now, – now then Tony Robbins would come about and say, but Tony Robbins at the same – I love the guy. I think there's no one like him. Mm-hmm. And I think that – I think that the – the grave problem with Tony Robbins is that people watch him and they love him so much that they want to be like him and they imitate the wrong parts of him. Now, what I love about Tony Robbins compared to people like, I don't want to name names, but you know the space. So, oh yeah, sure it's a, 10 I, people I, that come up. Look, dude, I got really grossed out by the self-help industry and the people in it. I grew very disillusioned with it. I get it. it, it the, the, I think maybe, and you can let me know, the parts that people, of Tony Robbins that people are emulating more so than anything is more, more so than the B like the, you know, the stuff that he teaches that actually makes you happier. It's more like, I want to be like Tony Robbins and have that big of an audience. I want to impact a billion people. I want to impact a billion people. Like, right. And then you couch it in language. I'm going to add value to these people so that you can justify insecurity and, and why do you have, why do you have to do it personally? Like, because you want, because you want 1 billion people to view you as God. Right, right, right. Okay. So then that's, that's a great, quite a great, like great point where, where does this come from? Does this come from the loss of God? A lot of the principles. Yeah. Sorry. I, I shouldn't have interrupted there. Go ahead. The philosophy of God. No, no. Does this come from the loss of God? The, the loss. fact that we venerate these now people, and, mm. and perhaps yes. And yes. what I'm see, Tony Robbins says yes. You want achievement and fulfillment, but at this at the same time, I think you could just focus on the fulfillment part because it's a bit of a conflicting message. You want people to look his business mastery and so on, and I'm sure you're aware of all the courses of his. Now he has one called Business Mastery. Yes. Why? Why? Because you want to teach people how to become millionaires and so on, but but why not tell people all that matters, including whether you're in a penurious situation, whether you have nothing, all that matters is truth and love. And that's it. Something that turned me off of Tony Robbins was 
when I was at Date with Destiny, he showed his own values. And truth wasn't number one. Truth was number three. I think influencing positively people was number one, something like that, or number two. And that, and his wife said, the reason is that he's willing to bend the truth in a story right, in order to exactly. impact people. And, and to me, that means you're sacrificing the truth. And you should never, never, never sacrifice the truth. Never, 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 yeah. never well, tell that, a lie. That never. goes to a an argument, a a, a Lins, an Alinsky esque argument of do the ends justify the means? Saul yeah, Alinsky, Alinsky, of course, would uh, from rules of radic rules for radicals, he would say yes, the ends certainly mm -hmm. do justify the means. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, right. this is. Much of much of the left's much of who the left is today comes from this 1970 book, Rules for Radicals, by Saul Alinsky. And and the key argument in there, one of the key arguments is, you know, the ends justify the means. And wow. so that's kind of what we're talking about here: bending the truth to influence people positively. It might not be true, but it'll make people feel better i think this is, is and is it, of, is it worth it to bend the truth is that is that mm -hmm, are those mm -hmm. means justified do, do the ends justify those means mm -hmm, mm -hmm. do you just want to have a bunch the, of people sleepwalking through life uh, who the don't problem know, is, don't know the real truth now we're getting into now it's getting very conceptual but and yeah, theoretical the problem with some of these their arguments like plus or minus infinity when it comes to God and heaven and hell and whether you should – Pascal's, Pascal's wager. Okay, so the problem with arguments like that where it says that what we should do is we should – like, for example, AOC – I forgot what that stands for, but AOC Cortez, Alexandria Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah, great, great, great. Sandy Cortez so, for short. Yeah, so she'll say what we should do, Jordan, is – we should do whatever it takes to overcome climate change because climate change is a minus infinity as its payoff. That is complete destruction. But the problem with that is In that her eyes, yeah. right, right. Well, the problem of that is that even if it's true, that justifies any behavior that's finite, even if it's so any finite, any finitely negative behavior in order to overcome the potential of getting a minus infinity in the future. And the same with, a utopian argument is there's a plus infinity in the future. So any minus negative that I cause right now, it's just a plus infinity later. So it doesn't, the problem with that is, well, it's, it's that it justifies anything. And then you can ask someone who says the ends justify the means as to, well, why not? Why not have worse means if it justifies the ends anyway? This is, See, there's you obviously know this from self-development. There's the goals and then there's the process. And I wonder, the process of being loving and telling the truth, forget about the ends, forget about where it would lead. You have to trust that it will lead somewhere positive. And you also have to trust that you don't know what positive is. And that's actually, that's a great insight. You have to trust. You don't know what's good for you. You don't even know what you want. So don't try and get what you want. Instead, try to tell the truth or at least yeah. not lie. And be, be loving. Be a good person. And let what happens happens. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. We got there somehow from uh, this, the self-help link. Kurt, I've been like dying to have that conversation about the self-help world with someone. I just, 
didn't know with whom or when and we're not, we're just it would be surface. appropriate. So we oh, we just, we just scratched the surface. And yeah, I just didn't expect to have this conversation today. And I'm really appreciating it. We're having a nice, very nice volley here about it. I, I'm right. so grateful that I'm having this conversation that I've wanted to have unintentionally too. Yeah. And there are these shibboleths that you can see from people who are I don't want to say indoctrinated. I don't like that word, but let's just use that word. Indoctrinated. It's overused now. Yeah. Like completely bought in. Not, I wouldn't say bought in, but they don't think for themselves. And the reason I say this is that they're interchangeable in their speech. So I was speaking to someone who runs up. I don't want to denigrate her. She's not, she's not going to watch this, but she runs a women's help entrepreneurial help organization. She helps women with their business. And she keeps saying, you're your own story, or you got to tell yourself a different story. And I just hear that echoed in so many other self-development circles that I'm wondering, you didn't come up with that. And it's all regurgitated theory. And the fact that they, that they say the same words, this is another reason why you're asking, okay, you're looking down, Kurt, you're looking up, you're looking to the side, close your eyes. The reason is that I'm also trying, Jordan, making sure, or at least trying my best to give you an answer that comes to me in the moment and it isn't obviously it's influenced by what I've thought about before, but isn't pre ordained or pre uh, or pre thought. And, and, and I'm trying to say it in my own words and I'm trying to say it differently than I've said it before. And that's another, if I was to come up with my own rule for life, let's say my own rule, like I'm Sam Peterson and I come up with a book. Well, let's imagine it has one rule. At least one of the rules would not, would be, not to repeat yourself. And the reason why I say that is to repeat yourself means you don't gain anything because you're saying the same thing. So then what's the different perspective? Even if you take the same, let's say you have a thought and you just replace the words with synonyms. You sound like, well, that should, to a computer, that's exactly the same. It's a synonym. It's interchangeable. But no, to you, it's different because synonyms have different connotations. So it allows you to look at that truth or what you thought of as the truth from a different perspective. And it's this circling of ideas and seeing them from other points of views that give you insight into yourself as as well as into the phenomenon that you're trying to articulate. So what I'm, when I'm constantly interrupting myself and, and pausing, it's, it's because I'm trying not to say the same thing in the same way. So that's another reason. Mm. How about we get back to the film? What do you say? Yeah. Got a few more questions about the film. And I want to jump to, for me, the most intriguing, riveting part about 55 minutes in. When you walk through, Kurt, what happened in these communist countries and Countries that aren't maybe as high profile stories, for example, you know, high profile communist disasters are, you know, like Soviet Russia or, or, you know, or, uh, you know, Lenin in Russia and and Stalin and um, those are disasters and Mao, Zedong and those, those are very well known disasters examples in the world of we should yep. never yeah, yeah. Yeah. In, in the school of thought that says we should, you know, never communism again. I certainly look to those examples, but Rwanda and Sri Lanka 
uh-huh. what happened there. I some of the original footage, the yeah. which I can imagine is very rare and hard to find that footage. It was really sad, dude. Can you before I go on, can you just describe some of the footage that you showed? Can you just tease that? And by the way, I I saw I'll just name, I'll start. I saw footage of Ho Chi Minh, right? In China, like what, a hundred something years ago. I saw footage of Lenin, video of 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 Lenin in Russia, like what, a hundred or so years ago. Like I didn't know that foot, footage like that even existed. Like I saw Lenin in motion. You're talking about it in the really, film? In the film, yeah. It was really cool. Talk about some of the other things you show there before I ask. Yeah, I don't think Ho Chi Minh's in China, but I know what you're referring to. As for the footage, hmm. you mentioned Sri Lanka and Rwanda. Now, mm-hmm. those aren't the extreme left. Those aren't communism. But why I included them in the film is that I don't think you can investigate the left without investigating the right, at least in the extreme. Because you have to contrast it. So this is a philosophical problem of you can't you can't distinguish a thing without talking about what the thing is not, at least. So if I'm going to talk about the left, you have to talk about its milieu. So what is the right? What is the neutral? Okay, so then I was thinking, well, what is extreme right? What does that look like? So Hitler, this is the consummate is example that of extreme, extreme right. right. How, how is that rooted in the right? How, I don't yeah, get it. Yeah, that's a great, 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 great question, Jordan. How is that right? As in, how is that politically right? Not correct. So the the reason it's politically, that's that's now a deep question as to why do we, what is the category of right? What defines right? What defines left? And that was the hardest problem of the film. Well, one of the hardest problems. First, I was going to put an exordium with a whiteboard and a marker, a dry erase marker, and say, here's what the left is and here's what the right is. It turns out that's ex- actually extremely difficult. It's also pedantic and people don't care. People would turn off in the first minute. But either way, it's there's no consensus as to what makes a political regime left or right. Jordan, this is something something I've been exploring lately. It, what, what tells me about that people are more attracted to what they have been told or I'm visualizing it like a stone pillar that they move around, but it's an, it's an ideology. I don't use that term ideology. I hate that term. And but we can talk about why. Whatever ideas that they orbit around, and the one way you could tell that these ideas are not theirs is that they conglomerate many ideas that should have nothing to do with one another, with the left or with the right. So, for example, why is pro-life? Sorry, why is pro-choice a left argument? Hmm. I was thinking about that. Is there something left about pro-choice or pro-life? Is there something leftist about that? Because you can say that if it's about liberty, which is the what the left is about supposedly, then Shouldn't they be pro-life? Or if they care about being compassionate like Jainism is to all creatures, like Jainism to me is like the most hippie of all the religions, which you would associate with being on the left. Jainism has strict enjoinders, sorry, enjoins against, sorry, interdictions against Abortion, because it's the killing of a life. And even if you were to say, some people would say, well, what if you were to save the mother? 
Like, what if there's a child that's inside you? And if I was to kill that child, I could save the mom. Jainism says, you never think of a problem like that. You think, how can I save both? Then the question is, well, what if you can't save both? There's like, you don't think like that. Try to save both. That's it. So to me, I'm like, hmm, if Jainism thinks abortion is wrong, well, why is it that the left, it's a leftist idea to think that abortion is okay or you should allow for abortion? I'm not making a pro-choice or a pro-life argument right now. I'm just saying what someone thinks of as a left or right issue, to me, the fact that they think of it as a left or right issue, the more you examine it, the more you realize it. It, it's somewhat arbitrary that it became a left or a right issue. And you can see this right now with mm-hmm. free speech. Like why is free speech now a right issue? It used to be a left issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's always changing way. and fluid, right, right, right. it seems. So then, when, so then when someone says, I'm on the left, this is another reason why I don't like to call myself a, on the left or the right. First of all, the, these problems are so complicated that that I can't, I don't have a, I don't have a, and I can almost always find a counter to whatever position I put forward. So it's difficult for me to, to make a statement, to put my, to put a flag in the ground. But another reason I don't identify is that it seems like there's, that they're just orbiting around something pre scribed that was given to them. And that's why they call themselves left. And that's why they call themselves the right. And I don't like that. I think that you should think individually. And if you thought, any of these problems through, you would realize that you don't agree with 90% of the people on the right or the left. You you would be so strange that you'd be like a Slavoj Zizek. He calls himself a Marxist, but I, don't see, I see almost no Marxism coming from his mouth. Same with Peterson. You don't see him as being, well, some people, obviously, if you hate Peterson, you'd say, well, he's a classical liberal and that's that. Well, you see him as if you investigate him for more than two hours, you'd see that he has his own views that are particular and unexampled. And same with Ian McGilchrist, same with John Verveke, same with, you have to, well, all of that is to say, it's not easy to define what is the left. It's not easy to, def- to define what is the right. So why is Hitler extreme right? There's an arbitrariness to it. And I have to take a Wittgensteinian approach and say, well, how do we use language? And there's something called a family resemblance in Wittgenstein's terminology, which means you can't define what a game is. Well, it's a game, something you have a controller. No, because you can also play soccer. That's a game. Well, is the game something that involves more than one player? No, because Tetris is alone. Okay, well, is the game something that there's a win and lose options? Well, you can define a game where there are some, some people say life is a game. There's no winner. So then you're like, well, what is a game? Wittgenstein said it's a family resemblance, which basically means it's a voluminous concept is amorphous and you only know what's a game by relating it to other concepts that are game-like and don't mind me i was going to plugging in my computer that's fine i was going to take that approach with what is the left what is the right so that's pretty much the approach i took except i didn't make it explicit as for hitler being on the extreme right i'm just calling him extreme right because that's what that's how it's used am i correctly categorizing him as the right i think wikipedia just says far right. I think it's just Wikipedia. I don't know. I would tend to tend to disagree. I mean, why could I explain it? I don't really, I don't know. I just think that these, I just categorize total control and intrusion into the lives of your citizens as a leftist ideology. Right. But then here's what's so funny about that. If you go back to the... Yes. 
instantiation of the left from the French Revolution, it was the people who didn't want control, the people who mm. hated the monarchy and hated the well, hated the monarchy and didn't like what they didn't like their power over the people. So they're like, let's give it back to the people. And that was a leftist ideal. And so it's not clear to me what makes one left, what makes one right. And it's almost as if these labels are so arbitrary. Yeah. And, and, and almost foolish, almost leading us down a, a, a path, a red hair. They're a red herring. Yes. Okay. Well, what's the next question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we went, we got sidetracked there. I, that started with the with the footage, the riveting footage ah, okay, that I was okay. talking about. I can about. explain that simply. Let me get I can get quick. Trust me. I can I know it doesn't sound like it, but I can give quick answers. So let's see. That's for Rwanda and Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. I was researching what makes something far right. Okay. Well, what are the far right regimes? Well, Hitler. Clear. Okay. I know you're saying it's not clear. Doesn't matter. Whatever. It's clear. So put that down. What else is there? Well, there's obviously genocide. Now, genocide to me. Well, what are the examples Dude, of the, genocide? Rwanda. Man, was- the corpses I saw in your film are crazy. Yeah. The, skele- the skeletons just lying on the on the ground in, in Africa, like really barbaric, inhumane yeah. stuff. Yeah. When I was the only time after even after reading and researching plenty about North Korea and China and so on. The only time that I actually had to stop because I was so overwhelmed emotionally was with the Sri Lankan footage. This one mother, I think she was just screaming because her child was, she was under a bunker and she can't get out because they're dropping bombs on the people. And they had this technique. I didn't put in the film. They had this technique, the government where they would bomb an area wait 10 minutes or 15 minutes you did put it in the film yes i heard that yes yeah and that was just so that you can't kill your loved ones yeah and you you get punished you get killed for for helping people yeah yeah it's it's sad 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 sad, it it was it was so my lead-in that was my lead-in my question regarding a lot of the happenings in these countries why did you include this in the documentary is it do you see any parallels here in America today or are any comparisons to those types of situations wholly inappropriate and overly dramatic yeah there's do you see always the beginning an argument. stages tell me your yeah. thoughts in general yeah someone can always say especially if they dislike the comparison being made one can always say that it's unsuitable it's incongruous what happened before isn't happening again. And the reason why that's the reason why that's tricky is that they're correct. And in like there's they're correct and incorrect. Now the correctness is that let's say you have two Big Macs from McDonald's. You think, well, I can compare them. Well, technically you nothing is the same unless it is the thing. So then even if you have a Big Mac in Toronto and a Big Mac in Florida. I can always say how they're different and say that, well, just because it's made in Florida in this way doesn't mean it's made in Toronto. And so one can say that what happened before isn't an echo of what's happening again, because look at all these different parameters. For example, we now have the internet. We now have cell. You can, you can point to an infinite amount of characteristics and say that that didn't characterize back then. And so what makes you think that now is going to be the same? It should be different. That's what's tricky about that. Anytime one is to make a historical argument and say that it's, there's about to be a repetition. You can say that 
well, it's not exactly the same. As for, that's why I tried to take a mathematical approach and abstract away. That's what mathematicians do. I'm not a mathematician, but that's what I was trained mathematically, let's say, in university. So that's what, that's what mathematicians do. They think, what is the essence of a situation? And do you see those patterns reoccurring again? And I, I would say I see some of the patterns reoccurring again. Yeah. Right. Yes. Kurt, what are a few things that the left wishes to destroy in, in our society here in America today that would turn America into a communist state or otherwise, as is hor- horrifically depicted uh, in your film? I, you know, things that they take for granted. They take a lot of okay, civil well, liberties for granted. <laughs> they really do. Well, 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 firstly, let's say that the left, to call it the left, let's like steel man the left. To call it the left is already is already a mistake because there's, Flawed, yeah. there's quite of infighting on the left and even on the extreme left. So the Marxists disagree with some of the identity politics types. Well, we're and generalizing. So, yeah, yeah. Let me just get through this. So let's say that it's unclear as to what is the left per se like what is a left idea because whatever idea you pose as being left you'll find people on the left on the left that disagree with that okay so given that then what do they want to destroy well let's think about what they want to build first of all what they would like to build is or what they would like to destroy charitably speaking is obscene inequality so let's say that that's that's something noble because I believe we mentioned before that monkeys are are attuned to inequality of the sort of one to a three ratio. So if you give a three grapes and you gave this one only one, it's going to get angry at you. Well, what we see now is not just one to three, it's like one to a million. And one of the largest predictors of physical violence, especially among men, is income inequality as well as spousal inequality like in certain states where you're allowed multiple women okay so that's the charitable interpretation of the left i'm not saying that's charitable that's in many ways what the left is doing okay so what is the extreme left trying to destroy now you mentioned civil liberties Hmm. i don't know i don't have a good answer to that jordan what is the extreme left trying to destroy yeah, I don't have an I don't have a good answer to that. Sure. I mean, what are the parallels then that I mean, you say we're we're you're seeing some of the same patterns reoccur going back to our last question, Kurt, but what are some of those patterns that you see we're gonna call it the left? Where is the left going too far? What are some of these patterns that are repeating i think that's kind of a way of rephrasing it mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's right that's a great way of saying it so in chapter three i do give an outline i think i give four stipulations or four criteria and i think i could make that desiderata down to three if i was to redo the film i think one is unnecessary there's an extra one that's unnecessary or can be incorporated but either way 
not to give away the film, but that was yeah. one of the highlights of the film, at least for me, even though it seems simplistic on the face of it. The whole point, people say, well, what are you calling the extreme left? Great question. What am I calling the extreme left? This film, you can think of it. I was critiqued about this. I did, sometimes like those, maybe you're the same. Negative comments bug me. Mm-hmm. Certain ones don't, and it's getting less and less, but certain ones do. And one guy said, why? And many people have said this, like, what are you calling the extreme left? And you can think of, and I said to him or her, I don't know. I said, well, I started with a question as to when does the left go too far? What, Something like that. And then the question then becomes, well, what is the extreme left at all? And he didn't like that. He said, he said that, that that was disingenuous or I don't recall what he said, but then I said that many times in philosophy, even in math and many other scenarios, investigating some question then leads you to wonder what you're using as definitions for the words that comprise the question to begin with. So for example, when you're talking about the hard problem of consciousness, then you have to wonder, well, what is consciousness? And that's a common, common, it may even be the source of all problems is actually being ambiguous in your terms. So the film is an investigation to disambiguate what the extreme left means. In chapter three, I think I do that, or I try to, with the four desiderata, though I said I can make it down to three. Okay. I forgot your question, if you don't mind repeating. <laughs> the question was some of the patterns. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so what are the patterns? That's it. That's chapter three. Largely by the left. Chapter three, you see if the you Don't give away conditions. the film. Give a right, right, right. Just a preview here. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, one of them is that you treat other people as if they're, as if what unifies them in their oppressive or let's say oppressive qualities is something that is congenital and they can't get rid of like your whiteness or like your place of birth. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Now that characterized both the extreme left and the extreme right with obviously on the extreme right with Hitler and the Jews and obviously on the extreme left with today with what you see going on. So that's one of the principles. Now that characterized the 1900s, even some of it prior to that, but you see it and you see, you see an adumbration of that now with people saying, White people are the devil. And it's not just, I'm not totally. straw manning. I'm not, st- like I include footage of people who are heralded by the extreme left. Like you see in the film, you know, yes. I'm sure you've experienced it because yes, it's shocking. you're white and you, if you broach this topic, you're coming from a place of privilege and so on. Right. Yes. Well, Kurt, we're out of time. We'll leave it here. I'm going to finish on this quote that I love from the film. When everybody is entitled to everything, nobody is responsible for anything. And I love that because as another quote said shortly after, if you don't work, you don't eat. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what makes America great and not an impoverished wasteland as some of these countries are depicted in the film. I mean, it's really shocking what go, people could never imagine the scenes, 
the turmoil that happens all across the world, really, throughout history. We are in such a bubble here in America. And I think that just the... <laughs> the it, it, your film really encapsulates the insane disrespect of leftists who hate this country they have no idea they are they they walk around accusing everyone of of privilege telling them to check their privilege when they're really just projecting they should check their own privilege cuz they live in the greatest country on earth and those and and they're and they're ruining it they're they're destroying it and so i think that i yeah unfortunately i think that there there are troubling signs in america is is what i'd say and your film does go over that better left unsaid film.com better left unsaid film.com kurt jaimungle thanks for being here thank you jordan if you don't mind that i comment briefly yes, as you- brief as i possibly can on yep. this ingratitude situation well when it comes like it's easy to to look at the extreme left and say that they don't understand how well they have it because if you use the criteria of going back 100 years or 1000 years or 1500 or 2000 horrible horrific horrific conditions i've made this point though on another podcast about that the part that the right can learn from the left is that there's something to view it as a hierarchy where the the right like as peterson would say would want to entrench a hierarchy or point out the utility of it and then the left would say that there are people excluded and they tend to pile up at the bottom and one way of viewing this is the difference between your head and your stomach that your head that's the let's say the top of the hierarchy needs to listen to the stomach, the bottom of the hierarchy. So if the stomach is growling, it doesn't mean that the stomach is wrong per se. It may be wrong in what it craves. Like it's not good for you, but it's not wrong. You need to listen to that symbol signal. It's an indication that there's a lacking somewhere. As for this ingratitude, something I like to do is, and I catch myself saying this, like, for example, you said, we in the West have it so great. I, I try to I try to bring it back to I because I know that when I say we, mm-hmm. I have a tendency of distancing and pretending, not pretending, but as if these, as if what the left is doing, the extreme left, is not characterized of myself. Here's an example. Two nights ago, I had tater tots. Now, tater tots, I haven't had one since I was a kid. I got these tater tots, $2 from Walmart. Great, for a huge amount of tater tots. And then I put it in this technological prodigious invention of an air fryer right <laughs> right right and in this house that i have le- leather on my couch yeah and i put it exactly. in for 10 minutes didn't have to crank didn't have to plant potatoes hope for a good harvest hope for the benevolent rain gods don't destroy my 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 seeds and didn't have to mash them didn't have to bind them with impure water I have what i'm saying clean right okay then i left it in the air fryer it finished. I left it there for like an extra five minutes, not on, just left it sitting. So then it became somewhat solid, like McDonald's French fries after a little while, they don't taste as great. I went to eat them and I discerned their pliancy from my fork. I bit it and I thought, 
this man, this isn't that great. This sucks. Mm-hmm. These were much better when I was like, yeah, I was, I mean, wouldn't like, be my first choice of food. And then I'm like, and then I said this, I'll eat them anyway. I'll eat them anyway. Look how much ingratitude I display in that small scenario. Even right now, right, when I'm speaking right. to you, I don't think I, I don't think I'm grateful enough that, to be honest, I I treat every time that someone asks me for an interview or asks me for even my family, and I keep mentioning this, I feel bad. I treat almost everything as an imposition. Like, oh, I have my own. I want to just study. I want to just work. I want to, and. But at the same time, what you're doing is you're saying like, hey, Kurt, I like what you've done. I I want to get your 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 thoughts out to an audience and i'm ungrateful and like i am grateful but i don't feel the same way i don't i i don't even display my own gratitude so i'm saying thank you thank you so much i appreciate like what you're doing is thank you for taking some of your time out and giving it to me in many ways in the back of my mind i'm like i'm giving you my time to to anyone i'm thinking that because i'm so self-centered so self-centered and ungrateful so me too i i'm trying to get over that by by expressing it jordan thank you thank you for yeah thank you for for listening to me thank you for asking me some questions thank you for putting up with me thank you for thank you for doing this podcast and and thank you for analyzing yourself thank you for thank you for not if i said something foolish you let it go because you don't want me to look foolish any more than i need to if that happened at all, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Ditto. I, at least I hope I appreciate yeah, it. I'm saying it. I appreciate it. Right. <laughs> no, man, I I resonate with all you're saying. And that links back to uh, our conversation around the the 12 to, to 30 minute mark, uh, what we were talking about there. So we'll leave it there, man. I, I, uh, express my gratitude, or at least I hope I'm, I'm grateful for the conversation. <laughs> I, I am, I am. I, I'm grateful we have. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Again, Thanks, Kurt. shake your hands if this wasn't virtual yes. and if this wasn't COVID. Have a great Certainly. one. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of the Jordan Paris Show. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, there are a couple of things that you can do. Number one is, of course, share with your friends and family. I think that they would really appreciate it. Number two, we have a free community, a sensor-free community on Telegram. You can join that group at jordanparis.com slash group. I'd love to meet you. And lastly, your voice is powerful and it is important. And if you'd like to use your voice and start your own podcast, I'd love to help you out. jordanparis.com slash course is where you can find my free course on how to become a rock star podcaster. That's all. Thanks everyone for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode of The Jordan Paris Show.